0: we're gonna be good oh oh, sorry y'all hang on just a sec there we go Matthew 23 book of Matthew chapter 23 That's where we're gonna be at this evening thank you very much good job y'all all right let me find that This is a bit of a continuation from this morning. This morning, we uh, really focused just primarily on a, a true relationship with Christ. Uh, the focus was on salvation. It was, uh, the truth is, you can, you can come to church for years and years, a whole lifetime of church, a whole lifetime of religious activity, and you can still have no genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can look good on the outside. You can have every single person around you fooled, uh, but you cannot fool guide. God knows the difference. He knows the difference between the sheep and the goats. He knows the difference between the wheat and the tares. It's an example that comes up time and time and time and time again in Scripture. And the Bible makes it clear that we can fool men, but we cannot fool guide. Uh, Tonight, we're going to look at the encounters that the religious folks had with Jesus. It's interesting when we get to our, uh, our Bible, especially in the Gospels, we see that they are one of the main characters. You have Jesus on the one side, then you have the religious, and they are the ones that are constantly after Jesus. They're the ones that wanted to see him killed. They're the ones that ultimately did see him killed, and so they are constantly trying to find a way to bring Jesus down. Uh, I read recently about a man by the name of Matt Emmons, he was one shot away from claiming victory in the 2004 Olympics. He was competing in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. He would already done the first two positions, and he had shot so well that all he needed on the last position was to just place a shot on the target. That's all he had to do. He was, he was ahead of everyone else. All he had to do was place a shot on the target. And what was seen as a very uncommon mistake. Emmons got up, and he was shooting in lane two, and he made his shot, and he made an excellent shot. He made an outstanding shot. It would have been a score of 8.4, which would have been a great score. The problem was he didn't shoot in lane two. He shot in lane three. And so he shot the wrong target. And so he got a score of zero. And instead of having a gold medal, he ended up in eighth place in that Olympic Games. I think it's a picture of what a lot of religious folks do. There is no question that we have desire. There's no question that we have effort. There's no question that we are following hard. It's not the problem. The problem is that many times what we're following is not the Lord Jesus Christ. We realize that we have been aimed at the wrong target. And for many people, instead of following Jesus, they find that what they have followed is rules, In rituals. Instead of following Jesus, what they have followed is the church. Instead of following Jesus, what they have followed is what people around them might think. And so people are working hard. They're committed. They're dedicated. They're serving. They're doing all of these things, but they're not doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're doing it for some ulterior motive. They're shooting, they're making the good shot, but they're making the shot on the wrong target. In Matthew chapter 23, we come to what is known as the seven woes. And it is the seven woes to the religious leaders the religious leaders of the day, the ones who had a a mastery of the scriptures. They were the ones who had this expert theology. They are the ones who would obey the law, and they would obey the law strictly. They are the ones who would have all the rules kept, but they were not concerned about pleasing the Lord. Following the rules kept them focused on the outside, and in return, They paid no attention to the inside. Who they were on the outside did not match who they were on the inside. And so in this passage, seven times, Jesus says, Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. And it's almost to the point, it's like you're just too far gone woe to you. It's not like, why don't you change a little bit? We see that a lot in Scripture. We see it to where you need to change this, or you need to change this. In this context, it is a harsh reality. It's a harsh reality that what you are doing is not working. And so it is a passage of rebuke. He doesn't want people to confuse following the rules with following Jesus. And so he addresses this texts to what is known as the Sanhedrin the Sanhedrin are made up of 72 of the ruling religious leaders now in this group there's two different main positions if you will there are the Sadducees and the Pharisees the Sadducees made up the chief priest and the elders but to be a Sadducee it meant that you had to be born into that position It was a part of your heritage. It was a part of what you were brought up into. Of course, there was some work you had to do, but it had to be a part of your genes. It had to be something you were brought up into. On the other hand, to be a Pharisee, you didn't have to have it a part of your heritage, but it meant that you put a lot of work into it. It means that you were dedicated, and you put lots of work into the textual study, into theological training. And here's what I found. I found that there's many good old church folk and we fit into one of these two categories. It could be that we're like the Sadducees. And what happens is, I mean I'm yeah, the Sadducees, what happens is that we're born into it. We're born into it. And we are brought up and we growing up, grow up and we're shown that Christians ought to act like this. And Christians ought to talk like this. And Christians ought to listen to this type of music. And Christians ought to go to these types of places. And Christians ought to do this. And they ought to do this. And they ought to do this. And so, we have a church full of people who want to honor their heritage. And because they were brought up into this Christian home, they keep it going. And they keep it going. And they keep it going. But the problem is they never accept it as their own. They're believers and they're Christians only because mom and daddy were Christians. Only because grandma and granddaddy were Christians. Only because my family has always gone to church. We've always been believers. We've always been Christians. And so we've got many who are just following the family tradition. And then we've got some like the Pharisees. Some like the Pharisees who what has happened is they see their religious life based upon what they do. I'm a Christian, and the reason why I'm a Christian is because I go to church. I'm a Christian. The reason why I'm a Christian is because I give money. I'm a Christian. The reason why is because I'm involved in the music ministry, or I'm involved in the small group ministry, or I'm involved in this, or I'm involved in this. And so the reason that I know that I'm a follower is because of all the work that I'm doing. And you can say the right things, you can do the right things, but what Jesus wants is he wants all of us, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, He wants our faith not to be something that's just handed down. Praise the Lord for godly families that teach the principles of God. But there's got to come a time in our life that our faith becomes our own. And it's not just what we've been brought up believing, but it's something that we will stand on and we will fight for and we will believe it with all that we are. Because when we get to that point, we're solid. Otherwise, we will just go with the flow, and we'll be rocked back and forth. I heard about a, a famous tennis player, Andre Agassi. I don't know if that's how you say it. I've never been much on tennis. Maybe that's not how you say it. Somebody, how do you say it? Is that right? Agassi, I don't know that. I don't, I don't watch tennis. He won eight Grand Slams. I'm not much on any sport, so I don't, I don't know these things. But he won eight Grand Slams, but that's not the point. Here's the point. When you look at his life, you would say that this man loves tennis. You would say that his whole life revolves around tennis. Several years ago, he was doing an interview, and he made the comment. He said, I never chose this life. He said, my father chose this life for me. He said, I recall when I was a kid, we would go out and dad would make us practice, and we would practice on the tennis court for hours and hours and hours every single day. And he said, I remember I hated it. I hated practicing. And so from time to time, what I would do is the ball would come, and I would hit the ball with the rim of the, bracket, of the racket, and the ball would fly over the court. And he said, my dad would get angry. He would curse at me. But I knew that for five minutes, I could walk off the court, and I could go and find that ball, and I could rest, and I could get away from this game. He went on to say, I've got a love-hate relationship with this game. On the outside, you you would think he loves the game of tennis. On the outside, it looked one way, but he was wearing a mask. He never chose it, but it was given to him. And I just think that there's many who say they follow Christ, and they feel like they never chose it. They feel like the faith was handed to them. They feel like it was just something they were brought up into it. You know what to say, you know what not to say, you know how to pray, you know how to sing the songs, you know how to go and find the books in the Bible, you know all of these things, but it was just something that was handed down to you, and and it's not something you've chosen or I've chosen for ourselves. So I want to look just through Matthew 23 real quickly tonight and look at a few ways that maybe we can relate to the religious leaders of this day. A few of the things that Jesus calls them out on and says, you've got to stop this. And maybe it will challenge you. I know it's challenged me. Number one, he says, woe to you when you're focused more on the outside than the inside. The problem they've got is that they are hypocrites. And I'm not just guessing at that. There's eight times in the text that he calls them hypocrites. Greek actors, I think I might have mentioned this this morning, they were known as hypocrites because they would go and they would put on a performance and there would only be a few actors and they would change masks all throughout the presentation. And so they would put one mask on and they would play a part. Then they would go backstage and they would put another mask on and they would come out and they would play a part. Then they would go backstage, put another mask on and they would come out and they would play the part. And so they were always changing who they were. They were always putting on a different mask. In verse 5, look at verse 5. Jesus says this. He says, Everything they do is for show. Everything they do is for show. Fakes can almost be impossible to identify because they put on such a good performance. He says, the teachers of the law, this is verse 1, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them. You must do everything that they tell you. And at this point, these religious leaders probably said that's right now he's finally getting it he's finally understanding what to say because he's saying you've got to obey these guys you've got to listen to these guys but what does he say next he says but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach he says do what they tell you because they're saying all the right stuff but be very careful don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach they're not living it out It's just a game. It's just words, and it's not deeds, and it's not actions. And you know what hits me? I think we do that so many times. And I look at my life, and I think I do that so many times. We come week after week after week and we, we talk about the scriptures and we talk about the principles of God and we talk about faith and we talk about service and we talk about love and we talk about evangelism and we talk about all these, these disciplines and these principles that make us more like Christ. But there's, there's many times if I'm honest in my life that I leave here and I leave all of that knowledge right here. I walk out the door, and I don't take it with me. I don't apply it to my life. I don't let it change me. I listen to it. I agree with it. But after that, it just stays right in my little spot on my little pew. And it could be that many of us in here, we do the same thing. It's not that we don't agree with it. It's not that we don't understand that God is calling us to these things. But we just don't practice it. I want you to think. Think about your life. What in your life, right now as you're going through life, what in your life is hypocritical? What, what's something in your life that you would be ashamed to get up on this stage and tell everybody that you're doing? That's what hypocrisy is you say we're committed to these principles we we love and we're trying to be holy and pure and righteous but if there's there's something in our life that we know doesn't honor god and yet we keep doing it and we keep doing it and we keep doing it the bible says you and me we are hypocrites at that point point. and he says woe to you if you're practicing this type of hypocrisy You know what hypocrisy comes from? It comes from putting on this show and wanting to impress others, but not having it deep within your heart. Hypocrisy is when we go to a restaurant and we think that somebody's watching, so we we get our family and we begin to pray. We don't pray because it's what we know we ought to be doing. We pray because we want other people to see it. Hypocrisy is when we talk about how we need to live a life of holiness and purity But when we go home, the things that we watch on the television are the total opposite of holiness and purity. But as long as nobody sees it, as long as nobody knows about it, we feel that we're okay. That's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is when we do something good for the kingdom of God, but we want to make sure that everybody sees it. And so we go out with our little service activity, and maybe we find someone, and we help them out, and we say, hang on just a second, let me shoot a selfie right here and put this on Facebook. We do that, don't we? Let me just let the world know that what we're doing is for the kingdom of God. So smile, let me get this moment on camera. And so we do the right things, but we do it with the wrong motivation. We like people to see us. And there's many times that we can fool everyone around us. Our character is who we are when nobody's watching. That's what my character is. My character is not who I present to you. My character is not how I can put on this part and fool you. My character is who I am when I'm home and my wife sees me. That's my character. My character is the daddy that my boys see day after day after day. Brother, I remember having twins. God bless you. (laughs) I was there, buddy. God bless you for coming to church on a Sunday night, man. Golly. I can recall those struggles. Man, I can't believe I'm about to do that again. Okay, uh, I don't know, I forgot where I was. <clears throat> mm. All right, the act of pretending, look, look at verse 27, 28, sorry, I had to, this, is a bad flashback to first, first like seven and eight years ago, I don't, verse 27 and 28, it says, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. And the same way on the outside, you appear to people to be righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy. Painting a beautiful picture. He said, you know what you are? And he's not just making an analogy. He's talking to a group of people. He's looking them in the eye and he's saying, do you know what you are? You're like this tomb, and it's all beautiful on the outside. And when the sun comes up, it's white, and it glistens in the sun. And it looks so pure and so holy and so righteous. But on the inside, you know what you are? You are dead. You are ugly. You are pitiful. You're not making it. it says It's like a cup. And on the outside, it looks beautiful, but on the inside, it's got all this nasty stuff on it. And the Lord is making the point, I'm not concerned with what you're displaying on the outside. I'm concerned with who you are on the inside. And I think one of the biggest problems that we have in the church is that we're not consistent. We're not consistent. We talk about how much we love people, and then we go out into the world, and they don't see the love. We talk about how much we want to serve people, and we go out these doors, and we don't serve anyone. We talk about how much the Lord has changed our life, but we leave this place and the world doesn't see it. And so they look at the church building and they say, what a joke. Why are those people wasting all that time? Because it doesn't look like it's changing anything in their life. And the Lord gets fed up with it. He gets fed up with it. He says, you, you, you can't do that. And I look at my life. And there's a lot of times that I, I just have too much hypocrisy. And you look at your life, and maybe there's times you see the same thing. And so the challenge is to be real. The challenge is that when we come and we talk about something, go home and let it be true. We talk about how we ought to live. Let's go home and let, let's change it. We talk about how strong our marriages ought to be. Let's, let's go home and have a strong marriage. We talk about raising a family that honors God. Let's go home And raise a family that honors God. Talk about being a man or a woman that's going to leave a legacy, an eternal legacy. Let's be men and women that go home and leave an eternal legacy. Let's go to work and be different than everyone else. Let's go to work and work hard. Let's work diligently. Make the boss look at you and say, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. Something different about these students, when they go to class, they're not like all the other students. There's something that's changed in their life and in their heart, and I can see it in them. When we really act the way that we're to act and live and let the the light of Christ shine through us, the world is going to see it. And then we see there's hypocrisy. We also see that they chose the rules over a relationship. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. You get the picture, they make it hard for people to come to God. They're making it tough for people to come to God. They're teaching that if you want to get to God, you've got to earn it. You've got to work, you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do. And so they would take something like this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, why did the Lord do that? It was for rest, right? The Sabbath was to be a day of rest. In creation, God rested. He put the Sabbath into place so that people would rest. But what the religious leaders did, were they came in and they made it so difficult, they took all the rest out of it. And so they had all these rules. For example, you could not take a bath on the Sabbath. You couldn't take a bath. I don't know, maybe that'd be relaxing. Maybe you want to take a bath. You can't do it. If someone spilled something on the Sabbath, you couldn't clean it up. You couldn't move a chair from one place to the other. You couldn't redecorate. That would be working on the Sabbath. We talked before that if a chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath, you could eat the egg, but only if you killed the chicken the next day because the chicken broke the Sabbath. And so they took something that God set up, and God said, I'm going to do this to bless my people. They're going to be blessed by this. They're going to have a day of rest. And they made it into something that was exhausting. They made all these rules and all these rituals, and they made it so legalistic. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing in church today. And there are people that come in week after week and they feel like they have such a burden on their life and they feel like every time they come and they sit down, the preacher gives one more weight that they've got to walk around with, one more burden that they've got to carry, one more thing that they're not doing right. And so they walk out of here and it's like there's so much weight on top of them. Now, it's difficult because there's a balance. There's things that we ought to do. We just talked about Not be hypocritical. Now, we could look at that and we could say that's a weight on top of my shoulders. The difference comes when we're totally in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I believe the difference comes from our motivation. My wife, she, she's mad at me tonight, so she's not in here. No, my, Mason got sick, so they went and sat in the office. But there are many things I expect out of my wife. I expect to be the only man in her life. I expect that. I expect that she will come home to me every day and I'll go home to her every day. I expect our love to be very, very high. Now, she could do that in one of two ways. She could do that because she's obligated to do it. She could say, I've gotta only love Case. I've gotta go and be home with Case. Or she could do it because she's totally in love with me. Now, they may look the same on the outside On the outside, it may be that I'm the only man in her life. On the outside, it may look like she comes home to me and I come home to her every single day. But the reality is the two are very different, aren't they? If she loves me out of obligation, our marriage is going to be very weak. If we serve each other and we love each other and we do all the things that we do and we only do them out of obligation, our marriage stinks, But if we do the things that we do because we are totally in love with each other, and there's no other woman I'd ever want, there's no other man she'd ever want, there's no other place I'd rather be, there's no other place she'd rather be, and we come together like that, all of a sudden, it's a beautiful marriage. And here's the point. There's many followers of Christ, and they're doing all the right things. We're doing all the right things, but if we're doing it out of an obligation, it's not a beautiful relationship. If we're here tonight because we're obligated and we feel like we have to be here, that is totally different than being here tonight because we want to worship the Lord and we want to look into his word and we want to learn and we want to study and we want to grow. Now, I can't look out and tell the difference, but the effects of it are going to be totally different. And so what we see out of the religious leaders, we've got to wrap up soon, what we see out of the religious leaders is that they made it all about the rules. They made it all about what you've got to do and what you need to do. And they they didn't make it out of a love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we're going to skip one here. Next, they chose guilt over grace. It kind of ties into it. Look at verse 4. It says, they tie up heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders. But They wanted people to feel guilty. The key word for guilt is do. You've got to do enough. You've got to earn the favor of God. You know what the key word is for grace? It's done. It's done. It was done on the cross of Jesus Christ. Our punishment was taken by Christ. He made a way where there was no way so that we could live in freedom and appreciate all that's been done for us. There's a difference in the do mentality and the done mentality. When you have the do mentality, you go through this Christian life and you're exhausted. You go through this Christian life and you don't enjoy it. Listen, if you don't enjoy being a Christian, you're not doing it right. If you're not having fun following Christ, you're not doing it right. If it's a bunch of things that you've got to do and you've got to attend, you've got to try to earn the love of God, and you've got to try to earn salvation, then you have missed the boat. The Lord is about done. The Lord is about giving freedom, not condemnation. And so we can get those two mixed up. It's not about guilt. It's about grace. It's not about coming in this room on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and feeling bad about who you are. It may be that you, you're here and you've had an abortion. You know what? You can find forgiveness for that through Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness for that. It may be that you're here and you, you've been through a divorce. I'm sorry you've been through that. I know that had to be so difficult. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can come and you can find redemption. You can find reconciliation. You can come in here tonight and you can have an addiction that you are struggling with an addiction that you just can't seem to beat, and you can find redemption from that. You see, sometimes we get up and we, we like to, I don't, don't get offended here, but we like to amen on sins that don't deal with us, okay? We get up and let's say I start preaching on homosexuality. Homosexuality is against God, and that's easy to amen for most of us because we don't struggle with that. Or let's say I get up and I begin to preach on something, and I preach on something that you don't struggle with. I preach on having an abortion. You've never had an abortion, so it's easy to say amen to that. But then I begin to preach on, say I preach on tithing. Well, it gets kind of quiet then, doesn't it? Nobody says anything at that point. It's like, it's time to go. Say <laughs> so I preach on idolatry. We all struggle with idolatry, and all of a sudden it gets real quiet, And we begin to make these different levels, and we begin to put on these ways that you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. But the church is a hospital for the broken. It's not a museum for the perfect. And so it doesn't matter what you come in here with. Everyone is welcome because that's the kind of power there is in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you know someone and they struggle with homosexuality, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be praying for them, and you ought to do everything that you can to get them to this place so they can hear the love of Jesus Christ. If you know someone and they struggle with an addiction, maybe there's a drug addiction, maybe whatever kind of addiction, you ought to be praying for them and trying to bring them into this place. Don't say they're not going to fit. This is where we all need to be. We all have problems. We all have issues. I'm not better. You're not better. Everyone's welcome, and the blood of Jesus is big enough for any problem that we could find. Verses 28 through 30, this is out of the the message translation. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. And the last thing we'll see tonight, they miss what really matters. Verse 23 and verse 24 says, You're hopeless, you religious scholars and Pharisees, you frauds. For you keep meticulous accounting books. You tithe on every nickel and dime you get, but the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or you leave it. Your careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. Do you have any idea how silly you look? Writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons. Now, that translation is probably different than what you're reading, but I like the way it says it. What he's saying is this, saying you go through life and you're focused on all these little details and you're missing the the big thing, like go out and love people. Go out and show mercy and show the grace of God to people. And if we're not careful, we'll be religious. And instead of doing that, we'll begin to nitpick every little detail in the church. We'll miss the things that matter, and we'll begin to nitpick in the color of the carpet, the color of the paint. Why does he do that? Why does he look like that? Why is she doing this? And we'll begin to focus on the little bitty things that don't even matter. We strain the gnat out of it. We miss it. We miss the point. And that's what happens when we focus on religion and we don't focus on Jesus. We focus on religion. We get a bunch of rules Without a relationship, we focus on religion. We may look good on the outside, but we don't please God. I was, I was thinking about parents because I've talked to a lot of parents, and they talk about how they they brought their children up, and their children seem to lose the faith. And I just wonder if we we raised our children in church, but we didn't raise them in Christ. We brought them to church. And we did all the church things, but we never really taught them about Christ. We taught them to look right on the outside, but we never really let them understand that it's really on the inside what matters. We taught them all about the rules and all the things you should do and all the things that you shouldn't do, but maybe we never taught them about a deep relationship. We taught them how to follow Jesus at a distance, but maybe we never taught them how to Be deep with it. Maybe in our own life we struggle with that. I want you to just look, and we looked at just a few things tonight. I want you to just ask yourself, what in my life needs to change? How am I being religious and not focused on the relationship with Christ? That'll make the difference. I want more than religion. I want, when people walk in, I don't want them to see religion. I want them to see Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this time. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll forgive us, God, for not focusing on you. Lord, I know we've all struggled at times with hypocrisy, and I pray you will uh, forgive us of that, God. I know we've all been legalistic at times, and I pray you'll forgive us for that. The way that we make it more about what we do and less about what you've done, God, I pray you'll forgive us for that. I pray that you'll change our hearts, God. You'll show us the ways that we need, to, we need to change, things that we need to do differently. Lord, show us how the very basis is that we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And once we've got that, everything else will fall into place. And so, Lord, would you, would you show us, would you challenge us, would you teach us how to love you with all that we are? Uh, Lord, thank you for these who have come tonight. Thank you that there, there's... People all over town, God, and they wouldn't dream of coming to church on a Sunday night. But, God, I thank you that these have come. They want to be here, God. They want to worship you and learn more. I pray you'll bless them. I pray this text tonight will be a text that will will bless our lives, God. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, guys, for being here with us uh, this evening. Don't forget the activities of the week. We'll be back on Wednesday, just full blast. So looking forward to that. Any other announcement? There is a, uh, I think this is open for Nathan and Cassie. There's going to be a a, a wedding shower right in the back here. And so you're welcome to stay for that. And uh, that's all. So you're dismissed. Have a great evening.